You are listening to the Speak Podcast. The podcast featuring talks from Speak, a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. Welcome to the Speak Podcast, produced by Launchpad 516 Studios. New episodes available every week on all your favorite podcast platforms. Speak is a public speaking platform for people with ideas and stories. Each Speak Talk features three key moments. The moment of truth, the moment of transformation, and the moment of impact. We host pop-up events all over the world, and now we are bringing our talks to your device. Our speakers are stepping onto the stage and into the spotlight, and now onto this podcast. Welcome to the show. Welcome to another episode of the Speak Podcast. I'm your host for today, George Andriopoulos, the architect and one of the co-leaders here at Speak. Today's episode, episode 19, brings us the micro theme, Choosing Me. And this is going to be such a fun and such an incredible episode. I want to first real quick acknowledge our audience and the support that they keep giving us on a week-to-week basis at not only our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the platforms out there, but at our pop-up events and on our platform in general. This past week, we celebrated our one-year anniversary with Speak Growth, our official one-year show, which took place in Farmingdale, New York at the Nutty Irishman. And we had just such an incredible lineup, and the energy in the room was palpable. I look at the audience and I think that there are so many people that are hungry for these types of talks and the feedback that we constantly get from our audience is just so amazing and so appreciative of what we bring to the table as a platform by sharing people with ideas and stories on our stages and continuing to amplify both adult and youth voices across the globe. So I just want to say to our audience that we hear you. We are going to continue to build these stages more and more, and we just appreciate you on a level that you can't even imagine. Let's dive right into this episode. Our first speaker for the day comes to us from Speak Shelter, which took place on October 25th at the Lori Beachman Theater in New York City, New York. Published speaker Jenny Lincoln brings us an incredible talk with a heartfelt story of a journey of self-discovery with experiences of seeking refuge and approval in external sources only to realize that true acceptance and love comes from within. Without further ado, here's Jenny Lincoln with Seeking Refuge Inside Out Approach. When I was a child, I had a wonderful imaginary friend, Poss. We would squat for hours over tiny little rock pools, merrily chatting away and poking the blood-red sea anemones. Their tiny little tentacles would stick to my little fingers. It was so thrilling. POS was my safe haven, a place where I could freely express my innermost thoughts and feelings. With him, there was no pretending. Paradoxical, I know, because he was imaginary. (laughs) 
I felt free to be me, open, trusting, loving and seen. At the age of seven, after four years of deep connection, my father forced me to toss Poss aside. He walked me to the end of the wharf and said, throw him into the sea. I was devastated. It was like I was feeding my best friend to the sharks. I became traumatised, hurt, and I felt totally alone. In this moment, something switched deep inside of me. I traded my truth for what was expected of me. Did you know the number one regret of the dying is, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to me, not the life that others expected of me. I believe this is one of the toughest challenges we have as humans, our conditioning around meeting other people's expectations. Too often we sacrifice our own truth for gaining love, acceptance and appreciation. That's what I did with POS. I traumatically tossed him aside to please and receive love and understanding from my father. Now we can get stuck on this path, seeking love and appreciation outside of ourselves, but we can totally lose ourselves within that. Who here has lost themselves in a relationship with people, food, alcohol, work? I definitely have. These powerful forms of refuge are actually providing us with safety and security, comfort and warmth. Interestingly, they are all aspects of the love that we seek outside of ourselves when these forms of refuge are actually threatened or taken away from us, that's when our worlds can start to crumble. Now, we all seek refuge in different forms throughout our lives. During my teens, I was terribly misunderstood. Luckily, my history teacher, Miss Marcio, she saw past all my acting out she saw the truth of me, so she became my new safe harbour. When I entered the corporate world, my work and my career became my new refuge. But I was addicted to all the early promotions that I pushed so hard to get because they sated the thirst and the hunger that I had for acceptance and approval. We worked hard, we played hard, all night and all day. So by 30, I was seeking refuge in the bottle, juggling unsuccessfully everyone's expectations of me. After I admitted that I was an alcoholic and got the treatment that I needed, my new refuge became dining out and food. 
I had a rude awakening in the 2000 Olympics when I saw a picture of myself in the newspaper. I had been selected to run in the Olympic torch relay, but I didn't recognise the woman staring back at me. She was carrying 55 extra pounds. That's 25 kilos. Clearly, I had been eating my way through all those unmet expectations. I started to realise that I needed a healthier form of seeking refuge, comfort and approval. So I, took after, I started boxing and kickboxing. By 50, I was in the best shape of my life. Yeehaw! <laughs> I was fit. I was healthy, I was strong, I felt like I could do anything, so I did. I packed up my house in Sydney and I left to become nomadic. Three years into that wonderful lifestyle, my 21-year relationship with my partner came to an end. She was my major refuge and my heartfelt sanctuary. I was devastated. It was brutal. So I took myself off grid and I sought refuge in mother nature so I could lick my wounds. That's when I started climbing volcanoes. It was a great form of distraction <laughs> and release. They are the symbol of transformation. <laughs> That's when something magical and amazing happened. I had the most profound awakening of my life. High up in the Chilean mountains, staring into the belly of Mother Nature, her molten heart was bubbling away. It ignited something, something sacred inside of me. Here, on the flimsy edge of the abyss, I was engulfed with feelings of safety, security, comfort and joy. And they were all emanating within me. I realised this sensory cocktail was the essence of my truth. My own love and appreciation was all inside of me. It was wondrous, absolutely wondrous. Now, the problem with us humans is we like to defy the universal principle of impermanence. Things come together, and then they fall apart. That's how we evolve. I had resisted that my entire life. In fact, I was seeking acceptance and approval outside of me, building foundations outside of me. No wonder they crumbled. They were all exposed to the external elements of life. Today, Today, all my foundations are inside of me. The love, the joy, the acceptance, the approval, 
even the delight. They are no longer outside of me. That is my greatest consistency. Now, I'm very proud to say that I have quit trading my truth for other people's expectations. They no longer have a hold on me. Join me on the edge of your abyss and see and feel the true essence of your own love. Thank you. That was Jenny Lincoln with her incredible talk, Seeking Refuge, Inside Out Approach. I had the privilege of being an audience member at Speak Shelter, which was an event that was produced by Meredith Grundy, who is not only a producer, but also a channel partner and a former published speaker with Speak. Jenny's energy for this talk was incredible, and we had so much fun listening to her talk. Her voice denotes not only emotion, but humor and love. And I, I can't say enough good things about Jenny and her style and approach. Jenny, of course, comes to us from our channel partner, Trisha Brooke in the Big Talk. So we thank Trisha, we thank Meredith for producing that stage, and we thank Jenny most of all for bringing this incredible talk to a speak stage. Next up, we have another Big Talk speaker in Sonia Pemberton. Sonia gave such a great talk at our Speak Love event in February 2023 at Stage 317 in Farmingdale, New York. Her talk, Love the Life You Live, was just so powerful. And I remember looking across that room at Stage 317 thinking that the entire audience was just so immersed and so engaged in that talk. Why don't we just dive in so you can hear it for yourselves? Here's Sonia Pemberton with Love the Life You Live. Do you love the life you're living? Or do you tell yourself that one day, when blank happens, you will finally do what you truly desire? If you're waking up every day, living the hand that you were dealt, knowing deep inside that there's something else for you to do be or experience, then I know how you feel. I've often felt the same way. You see, my dream was to inspire and motivate others to live life on their terms. I imagine myself on stages empowering them to create a whole new paradigm for themselves and to reject anything and anyone that didn't align with what they desired for themselves or the work that they were here to do in the world. I remember as a teenager, I would hear comments from well-intentioned family members and also from friends. They were lovingly trying to lower my expectations of what was possible for me. They were trying to protect me from the disappointments of broken dreams and unrealized expectations. But I thought to myself, and I felt deep inside, I will not live my life based on someone else's experiences. I instead embraced an innate sense 
of compassion and empathy for the lived experiences of others, along with a deep curiosity that keeps me asking, what else is possible? Asking that question has taken me on a path of heightened self-awareness and a fascination with human behavior. And it's taught me that we are what we think, not what we think we are. You see, I've always known that there was more for me to discover, both personally and professionally. My grandmother used to call them inklings. They would come and go, but they would never go away, she told me, because you still had something else that you're supposed to do, be, or experience. The inklings would come, they were sort of fleeting. But for me, they were more like a gut experience, like a gut instinct of something I should or shouldn't do. And in hindsight, I realized that when I listened to that gut instinct, I was either saved from an experience that might not have been too pleasant, or it was the reason that I had such an amazing experience. Other times it would show up like a feeling of discontent that seemed to linger. But the best ones were those moments of clarity. You know the ones when you, you're not really sure exactly where it came from, but you know this is, it's exactly what you need to do in that moment. Now, there have been times when I didn't listen to those gut instincts, and I've paid the price for those. But that's what inspired me to figure out how might I leverage this seemingly resourceful resource. And it put me on a path that I call my learning journey. When I went on this path, the first thing I learned was adult development theory. And in that theory, you are taught that all of us as humans operate from three different dimensions. We have the cognitive, which are our thoughts. There's the affective, which are our feelings, and then there's the behavioral, which are our actions. Over many years, I have worked with hundreds of clients, and what I learned from them was that humans rely very heavily on the cognitive dimension, specifically when it relates to our belief systems and our decision-making. Over the last five and a half years, I've worked in the field of neuroleadership. And neuroscientists have found that whenever we're faced with a situation, we first have a feeling that then triggers a thought that then results in a behavior. Meaning, our feelings are more important or equally important when it comes to 
our belief systems and determining our behaviors. This was a game changer for me, and it opened up the door to yet another discovery. There is a fourth dimension. It is omnipresent and it's readily available. It's what I call our, the highest dimension of ourselves. Those inklings that my grandmother spoke of, it's how they communicate with us through our feelings, which is our affective dimension. And learning to understand when those feelings are occurring was huge. You see, inklings are an indication that we are on the cusp of a major turning point in our lives. In my life, they would show up when I was getting off the path, just to remind me that you're not living the life that you were born to live, that I was in a position to have the happiness and the life that I had desired for myself if I got back on the path. So I decided that I needed to figure out how to utilize this resource so that I could continue to live the life that I wanted to live and that I could continue to do the work in the world that I wanted to, to do, and that is to help others to live the life that they were born to live. I want to do a quick little exercise with you this evening. I want you to imagine that you have learned to leverage that fourth dimension. And I want you to imagine that you are genuinely happy and that you're experiencing success in your personal and your professional life, whatever that means to you. I want you to think about being in that new reality, in that place where you are genuinely happy and success is all around you. What does that feel like as you imagine it? What word would you use to describe it? I want you now to think about how that new reality, that living in a life that you love, would impact the relationships that you have with your family and your friends on the day-to-day? -day. What would that feel like? How would it change if you were living in that new reality? What word would you use to describe that feeling? And last, I want you to imagine being in that real new reality loving the life that you live, what impact would it have on your overall well-being? What impact would it have on your physical health, on your mental health, and on your financial health? What would it feel like to know on a daily basis that your overall well-being is something that you can count on because you're living the life that you love. Whatever you've imagined is possible. You can learn to live the life that you love. You can learn to master 
that fourth dimension. It's a simple process. It's a four-step journey. The first step is exploration. What is it that you truly desire that would give you the life that you could live every day in a place that you are excited, happy, successful, and fulfilled? The second one is embodiment. That's learning to recognize and utilize that fourth dimension that's omnipresent and, and readily available. The third one is empowerment. It's creating that life, the one that you want to live, the one that you deserve to live. And then the fourth one, most powerful one, is emergence, is stepping into and living that life that you truly, truly love. I hope that you were inspired, not just inspired, I hope you are motivated. I also hope that you are empowered to create the life that you truly want to live because we were each born with a unique fingerprint that no one else has because we were each meant to have an impact on the world that no one else can. Thank you. What a powerful talk that was and what a powerful voice that Sonia Pepperton has. That was Love the Life You Live and we thank Sonia for this incredible talk on our Speak Love stage. Our final speaker for this episode is Glenn Friesman, who was just so much fun to work with. I cannot tell you how much fun Glenn was to work with at our Speak Laughter event, which took place at the studio at Launchpad 516 and Speak headquarters in Farmingdale, New York. In this entertaining and humorous piece, Glenn Friesman reflects on his eighth grade math teacher, Ms. Kramer, who doubted and criticized him. Little did she know her negativity only fueled his determination to prove her wrong. Glenn shares the story of a memorable graduation prank that brought laughter and belief in his potential from the entire assembly. Years later, he encountered the school's vice principal who informed him that this prank was legendary and that they always knew he had something special. This talk is a testament to the power of turning adversity into fuel for success while reminding us all to shine brightly in the face of naysayers and turning the other cheek, or in Glenn's or in Glenn's case, turning both cheeks. Here's Glenn Friesman with Bad Moon Rising. Thank your antagonists. The story you're about to hear is true. The names have not been changed to protect the innocent. <laughs> have you ever thought to thank your antagonists? Who are the people in your life that thought you would never be good enough, that you'd never succeed? The people who thought that they were put on this earth for one reason, to teach you that lesson. For instance, Beethoven. He was deaf. People told him his whole life he would never be a great composer. But did he listen? <laughs> my most memorable was my eighth grade math teacher. We were going to call her Miss Kramer, because that was her name. She had this old woman face and a voice to match. She had these little half glasses that she would rip off her face every single time she was screaming at me, calling me by my first, my middle, and my last name, which was incredible. I don't even have a middle name. <laughs> Miss Kramer hated me and my sense of humor and hello. The principal and the vice principals, on the other hand, they kind of liked me. They knew I was a little nuts, but they knew and they cared that my mother was dying of cancer 
and then my father had gone bankrupt for the third time, and we were dead broke. The house was in foreclosure, the cars were in the impound lot, the silver lining, we did save a bunch of money on car insurance. <laughs> I grew up as a Jew-ish kid in Northeast Philly. That's because to me, every holiday was the same. They tried to kill us, they didn't. Let's eat. <laughs> and making people laugh when I was growing up, that was my obsession, that was my passion. And I became good at it. One of my favorite things to do was make my mother laugh. And I used to go into her closet and find her mascara and put like bushy eyebrows and a bushy mustache. And I'd walk around the house doing my favorite and her favorite Groucho Marx impression from your betcha life. You guess the sacred white, you get an extra $100. It's a common white used around the house. And she would laugh. And when she did, that cancer was gone for just a minute because laughter does have the power to heal. And when she laughed, she felt better. And when she laughed, I felt better. Because medicine and laughter is the only medicine that's as good for the doctor as it is for the patient. And I learned that nobody ever died laughing. And I learned from the ripe old age of 10 that there was nothing, and I mean nothing, that I wouldn't do to hear that sweet sound of laughter. So I went out into the world to find my stage. Not many places for a 10-year-old kid, but I honed my skills. And most people would call me a class clown. I preferred the term CEO, Chief Entertainment Officer. <laughs> and I became good at it. I became so good that when I was 13, the school administration had asked me to write and perform a Saturday Night Live type sketch show for the first ever full graduating class at Baldy Middle School. Now they tell me there's gonna be 600 kids, all the parents, all the teachers, the administration, and dignitaries from all over Philly were coming. This was my chance. Baldy Middle School, gateway to Vegas. <laughs> the night before the show, I'm rehearsing in my bedroom. And all over the news was a story about this Reverend Sun Myung Moon. Anybody remember him? No. Yeah? He ran the cult, for those that don't, called the Unification Church. His followers were known as Moonies. And he used to run around the country marrying like hundreds of couples at a crack. No pun intended. And I thought to myself, this must, this must be a sign. Like, this is comedy writing itself. So the next day, I explained to the entire assembly that Reverend Moon married 400 couples in New York, and he was coming in to tour Philadelphia. And at that very moment, he was spotted in our assembly. And at that very moment, I turned around And I, Reverend Moon, the entire eighth grade class. Now, if you thought it was funny, you should have heard 613 year olds. The place erupted. And the best part, they let me finish the show. They were apparently too stunned to stop me. Now, I walk back to my class, and I am sitting there 15, almost 20 minutes. And I'm thinking, I may have got away with this. But then the phone on the front wall rang. And I stood up and said, well, <laughs> that's for me. And I walked myself to the principal's office because believe me, I knew the way. Now when I get there, the principal, the three vice principals, and the disciplinarians are all there. 
the vice principal that we were going to call Mr. Linus, because that was his name, he decides he's going to do the talking. Now, this guy's a cross between Rodney Dangerfield and the Godfather. Hey, kid, what were you thinking? No, seriously, kid, what were you thinking? I said, Mr. Linus, I was thinking I wanted to feel the power and the warmth and the joy of making 600 people laugh at once. And then I figured I would give them all a gift from me to them as a gift of laughter. Hey, kid, well, you know, that's kind of admirable, kid, but there's no way we can let you get away with this. The truth of the matter is, we all thought it was funny. Your eighth grade math teacher kid, not so much. She wants you expelled. So, I'm going to make you an offer. Because I like the Jews. Ah, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. Now that's comedy, kid. We are going to suspend you, but not expel you. And kid, you cannot walk for graduation. And my father, knowing this may very well be my mother's last chance to watch me graduate from anywhere, wanted nothing to do with that. He goes back to plead my case. His defense, it's only a piece of skin. And if that's where the boys sit, you must acquit. Well, thank you, Johnny Cochran. He did do some good because I got to walk for graduation. <laughs> and I did. The principal was a kindly gentleman with an incredibly funny sense of humor. He handed me my diploma. And then he looked at me. And he said, do you have anything more you'd like to share with the class? Have any kind of final words of encouragement? And I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he handed me the mic. And no sooner did I have that mic in my hand before I was crooning. This goes out to the maven of math, the deep of division, the goddess of geometry, Miss Kramer. When my moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. He let me go through 16 bars before he takes back the mic and he says, well, Mr. Friesman, I'm glad you didn't sing Moon River and urinate all over my stage. <laughs> Miss Kramer was furious. She caught me right at the bottom of those steps. You, Glenn, Mr. Funny Man Friesman, you think everything you do is funny and you think making people laugh is going to get you anywhere in life? You're going to be broke, alone, and on welfare. You will never be anything. Now that's motivation. Ten years later, I'm at a funeral, and I hear, Hey, kid, when was the last time I saw your ass? Uh, when was the last time I seen you last? And I turn around, and it's Mr. Linus. And we start talking, and he tells me that what I did was the funniest thing to date that has ever happened in Baldy Middle School. He told me with the decline in the Philadelphia school district and all the federal government interference, he would rather deal with my behind than no child left behind. <laughs> and then he told me the greatest compliment, that the reason it took them so long to call me to the office is they could not stop laughing. <laughs> then he asked me how old I was and what I was doing with myself and what I've done with myself. And I told him, well, as a teen, I ended up selling 500,000 Philadelphia soft pretzels. And I told him about the lessons I learned from a very street smart pretzel guy. His lessons were hard. They were twisted. They were salty. <laughs> and half the time I think he was half baked. 
but his lessons afforded me the ability to get the house out of foreclosure, to get the cars off the impound lot. And I told him that I now own five candy stores and a national candy company. And then I told him what Ms. Kramer said to me. And what an inspiration, what a, what a guiding light, what a force that it had on my life. And he said, hey, kid, I always knew you'd be something. Hell, kid, you were always something. <laughs> Let me ask you a question, kid. You mind if I tell Miss Kramer how you're doing? And I said, yeah, please do. But do me a favor. Tell her I said thanks. Because without her, I may not be the man I am here today. The next night at the Shiva house, he finds me. And he tells me he went out looking for Miss Kramer, and he found her. And he told her that he saw me. And she said, where? On America's Most Wanted? And he said, no, it was at a funeral. And 10 years later, she still said, is it too much to ask for? It was his. But then I told her about your success, kid. And then I told her you wish to thank her, kid. And I'm telling you, that ruined her whole decade. <laughs> I've been waiting all day to tell you this, kid. I think she's still a little uh, moonstruck. <laughs> hey, kid, let me ask you a question. If she were here right here right now, what would you say to her? I said, well, that's easy. <laughs> you saw a bad moon arising. You thought it'd be trouble all the way. People will tell you that living well is the best revenge. I believe that living well above your antagonist's dire predictions and low expectations is the best revenge. And what I've shared with you today, I hope, will help you do just that. Like it says in the Bible, turn the other cheek. <laughs> That was Glenn Friesman with Bad Moon Rising. Thank your antagonist. Again, Glenn was just so much fun to work with and so willing to be part of the process with us. Of course, we sit with all of our speakers and we collaborate on their drafts for talks. And of course, we give them advice based on our platform, based on helping them to fit their idea or their story into the speak platform and of course, the three moments. Glenn not only listened to our feedback, but he listened to the feedback of the other speakers in order to perfect this talk and its timing and its very exact humor. I think he did a fantastic job, and I remember looking out at that room during his talk, and he had the entire audience at HQ laughing. So thank you so much, Glenn, for an incredible talk and an even more incredible message. That does it for this episode of Speak. Join us again next week and every week as we bring you talks from stages all across the globe of speakers stepping onto the stage and into the spotlight. We'll see you next time, guys. Speak Podcast is brought to you by Launchpad 516 Studios, executive produced by Fred P. Banning, Jason Martin, and George Andriopoulos. Our theme song, Champions Day, is by Lupus Nocti. Incidental music, Melting Places, is by Andreas Cantu. Music and sound effects licensed through Epidemic Sound. The Speak Podcast is hosted with Podbean. Make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. Follow Speak at Speak underscore event on Twitter and at Speak event on all other social media platforms. 
Visit our website, speakevent.com, for upcoming events, channel partner, sponsorship, and speak at work opportunities. And follow all the great podcasts produced by Lunchpad 516 Studios.